0: And then eventually my mom called me one day and she said, Ashley, I'm looking at your numbers and you have a million dollars in payment plans. Um, If you let go of your business now, you'll be able to buy a condo and restart your life. And it was that moment I said, no, I'm not gonna give this up, I'm gonna keep going. And she said, okay, but that's your choice. And I got the same call about six months later Hey, Ashley, you have $200,000 in payment plans and your business every month is having about $60,000, $70,000 in overhead. So either you close the doors today or you burn through it in the next two months.
1: Welcome to Fulfillionaire Live. I'm here with someone who's absolutely incredible in the career coaching field, but before that she worked for the Pentagon and before that she was an admin assistant making minimum wage. So I'm really excited to share her story with you today. She had a tech talk that went viral with over a million views and it's just continuing to soar. She has such a bright future. She's got a new book coming out next year called U-Turn that's gonna have some crazy media centered around it. And I really just wanted to bring her on today to share stories with you on fulfillment, on her success, on her ups and downs, which were tremendous. And her name is Ashley Stahl. Welcome, Ashley, to the show, and I'm really excited to share all the stories that we get into today. Tell me about who you are right now.
0: I'm a career coach, a Forbes columnist, a TEDx speaker, an author, and my focus and mission is to help people step into career paths that they're excited about and aligned with. So that's what I've been spending my past decade doing.
1: How did you get into that?
0: Uh, You know, one of the things I've learned in my career is that when you follow what feels good, the purpose that you're really seeking is either right in front of you or on the periphery of that. And in my case, I was always interested in government and culture and travel. And when I was younger and I was in college, I remember the career services woman asking me, like, what do you want to do? What major do you want to have? And I had no idea, but what I did know for sure was I was interested in culture. So I just followed government and it ended up over the years not being the right career path for me for a lot of different reasons. But what I got on the sidelines of that was an awareness of, Job hunting and creating opportunities, and how needed that is for so many people. Me having been one of them. So when I finished graduate school, I was in London, and uh, I came back and I I did everything right. You know, I I got the degree, I learned the foreign languages, and I was set for a career path in counterterrorism. And I grew up uh, after 9/11, and I had so many family members in New York City at that time. So it really left a mark on me, and I think solidified my interest in government as something that I had a personal mission to be supportive with and what i didn't realize at the time was how much we make career decisions over interests that we haven't necessarily lined up with our skill sets and so at that time I, i came back i did everything right got my degree learned languages all of those things and ended up not being able to get job offers and applying 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 and just figuring i had to take what i could get and so i ended up taking a job in um where was it it was like an ad agency in los angeles I was an admin assistant. I was making minimum wage. I had this master's degree, and I was fluent in multiple languages. And I was practicing my Arabic characters on my lunch break, which probably looked a little interesting for people in the lunch area. <laughs> and then
1: going into
0: defense. Going into defense. And I told myself, no matter where I am, I don't have to stay here. No matter who I am today, I don't have to be that person tomorrow. And I had this awareness. and I don't know where it came from that that no matter where you are, that that can change at any given moment and that who you are is is not fixed and that it really just takes one conversation or one opportunity to totally change your life and that's why to this day, the way I see the world is if I wanna be more interesting or interested or I wanna change my career or I wanna make things more interesting in my life, go have more conversations. And so at that time of my life, I ended up calling my university asking if they had a list of alumni and they sent me a list of 2,000 people who had graduated from the university and moved to Washington, DC. And so in my admin job, on my lunch break, I was either practicing Arabic characters or doing cold calling, calling people off of this list. And eventually, I ended up, and, and again, I, I kind of had this inkling, like maybe government isn't for me, but I still want to follow it. There was a, a pull. And I think a lot of people get these breadcrumbs. And I had this breadcrumb towards government. So I ended up going through this list. Yeah.
1: Tell me. Um, Let's expand a little bit on this idea of a breadcrumb. Yeah. Go back to that moment when you were like making this decision. And of course, how old were you at this point? I was
0: 23.
1: 23, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Something that I recognize about being younger and as you get older is that when you're younger, there's no hindsight. There's no experiences yet. So everything is like the first voyage into the unknown. right? So when you were going for this job, now if I were to say, could you get a job in defense? You'd be like... Of course, here's the 87 yeah, I exactly people I would call, yep. here's the strategies, but back then, it's like you're at the base of the mountain, you haven't hiked up at all, Yeah. and you have no idea that there's so many routes, and now you're like halfway up the mountain, mm-hmm. and you see all these different routes you could have taken to get to where you are, mm-hmm. but back then you were only at the base and you could only see that one path, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then you said something about, you had this instinct, you're on the mountain, and you're like, Okay, like I feel like if I go this way, there's actually going to be another path. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right one, but it yeah. feels like the right thing. Yeah. Explain the feeling the of feeling. that and why or how you made that decision.
0: Yeah, great question. I would say that in order to feel what feels good, you have to start paying attention and taking stock and creating a relationship with your body. And For me, it's funny. Somebody will say, you know, I have a relationship with my body. I have a relationship with my instincts. I can feel my expansion. I can feel my contraction. And I think it's really as simple as that. I can't tell you how many clients have come into my office saying, I've got this job offer. I'm so conflicted. I don't know if I should take it. And it's like, all right, well, why do you want to take it? And it's everything in their head. And my job, I think, is to put a ladder from the head to the heart and and, and, and what people really feel when they experience something because ultimately our goals we think that they're just going to make us feel something. So we're all just chasing feelings anyway. So when I, when I really cut the bullshit, am I allowed to say that cut the bullshit and just say, how do you feel when you look at this job offer and people, Oh, well, a little bit stressed, you know, forget the money, forget the re- the security, forget all these things. Do you want to do what this job is asking you to do every day? Does that light you up? And most of the time it's like, well, no, but it's going to get me somewhere else. And that's the rat race. You know, and I think that's what my job is, is to help people notice when they're just chasing this ever elusive carrot and running from themselves versus when they're really pursuing something that they want to be doing. And so my advice for anybody would be to start to notice where you're expanding and where you're contracting. And, you know, according to scientists, they were saying, you know, the, the second gut is what, or the second brain is what they're calling our gut. And it's, it makes sense, you know, with whatever it's been 200 million neurons mm-hmm. like the cat or dog's brain, uh, it's a pretty intelligent little part of us. And so it, it makes sense to me that we feel this pain in our gut, or we feel this expansion and this freedom and liberation. Um, there's such an intelligence to our body that people are missing. And so in my case, my mind was saying, I don't know if government's for me, but my heart was saying, follow it anyway and see what happens. Mm.
1: So tell me, where do you, because you do this professionally, you help people make these decisions, where do you draw the line or coach people to draw the line on feel into it, Mm -hmm. but maybe sometimes there's trauma or there's other emotional stuff going on in their life that's conflicting and not allowing them to feel into these decisions? Or is that just false and you always trust the feeling?
0: Yeah, I think there's a dynamic of two pieces at play when it comes to this. Number one is, are you coming from wounding? And number two is, are you coming from inspiration? A lot of people will make career decisions but out of a wounded place, and usually that comes from traumatic life experiences and them never wanting to experience it again. So in my case, my dad lost all of his money when I was a little kid. And that was something that, uh, you know, he, he was a hardworking guy. He dropped out of UCLA built one of the biggest financial firms west of the Mississippi and and lost it all. And when I was a little girl, we had to move out of our home and he, he lost some friends. Uh, that that I, It almost felt like when I was little, like he couldn't afford his friends. Um, and so for me in my career, I was driven by wanting to succeed, wanting to show my family that they wouldn't have to worry about me, that I was going to be secure and solid, I wouldn't have to go through that, and that I was going to make a lot of money and be the top of whatever I was doing. And there was some little whisper of like starting a business. I always found it really inspiring, but it felt like it wasn't for me yet. And so I kind of played out this wound in my career so I could shelf that, but I was also inspired by the government. So I think it's possible for our wounds and our traumas to inform our inspirations. Um, It just depends on what energy you're living in when you're pursuing it. So for a long time in the government, I was in a place of I want to be the best because I never want to go through what I went through as a kid again. So wanting to run away from or run towards something usually is motivated by some sort of wound versus inspiration where it's simply something that's expansive for you.
1: So tell me, uh, so catch me up. You (laughs) were chasing this breadcrumb that you felt. And where did that breadcrumb lead you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I worked my way through that list of, of cold calls. And just told myself, even if government doesn't feel 100% accurate, there's something pulling me towards it. I felt that expansiveness. And I ended up...
1: So what you're saying is your mind was like, this makes no sense, but your heart was like, I really want to do this. Exactly.
0: And I think that that's the case for a lot of people. And I don't know why we're conditioned to come from analysis when we make decisions. When, if you think about it, sometimes you... There's other ways of knowing. There's not just mental knowing. Like, for example, if you've ever been at a party and you walk up to somebody and you feel like they've been talking poorly about you, it's like, you didn't think that through. You felt something. Um, I think our bodies are just these, we have these little invisible tentacles, like these octopus, you know, sorts of creatures that can feel things. And there's so much going on in the invisible and energy. And I think um, also just being connected enough to your feelings, your expansion, your contraction, and that, that feeling of intuition for example so a lot of people get stuck on intuition and what i've learned is that it's not emotional it's very absolute it's very neutral it sounds like hey check that out or hey this feels good for me this doesn't feel good for me it's very discerning it's very yes or no it's it's not emoting it's not emotional it's not going into stories or fears um, and so most of the time that's another thing that gets people stuck on this journey is is it intuition or is it fear and To me, intuition is is really quite clear. It's quite neutral. It's quite friendly. It's kind of looking out for you. It's not afraid. Uh, And so these were all things that I kind of calibrated with on this journey. I have no idea why I was so in tune with following that. And and I was holding both polars. I was holding all of my wounds and all of my wanting to succeed and do well. I was also holding all of my inspiration and expansion and, and wanting to be someone for myself. And even with money when I think about it I I wanted at one point to just create wealth not from a place of wanting to be secure but from a curiosity of wanting to experience it like it was a genuine like what does this feel life feel like and and a genuine awareness that the human experience is so short and just wanting to add that into my repertoire of experiences the irony was that eventually I would go on to create a lot of wealth and then I would lose it all too so it was almost like I gave myself the experience but I didn't manifest the, the keeping of it
1: mm-hmm. at that time. So when you followed the breadcrumb, yeah. what happened?
0: I ended up moving to Washington, D.C., landing multiple job offers. Uh, out of a list of 2,000 people, I would say about 100 of them helped me. Really kind people who went out of their way to really support me, network with me, recommend me to people, and I, all I had was a resume and a degree and a lot of hope and a lot of curiosity, which I think is, is everything. And ended up getting multiple job offers and on the periphery of that, which is kind of what I was saying earlier, when you follow these feelings, it doesn't have to mean that what is right in front of you is the thing. On the periphery of that, I ended up getting so many job offers, leveraging them, and all my friends were like, can you help us? We struggle in our career and we are just dying to get these offers like you. What are you doing? And they would make little side comments like, you should be a career coach.
1: Just for the the case of some concreteness here, you were making minimum wage at your assistant job, right? Your Mm -hmm. admin job? Yeah. What level were the offers you were getting? Like what was the...
0: Yeah, it was six figure jobs. So I ended up going at 23 from making minimum wage and six weeks later. So I left Los Angeles in July, I think it was 2011 and um, by September... 2011 I had three job offers all within the range of six figures and in management roles and I leveraged all of them Negotiated them all met some really amazing women in Washington who helped me Which is incredible that that exists in today's world You know and I did find I ended up taking a job at the Pentagon running a a team as it relates to the Taliban and and, um, managing a program in Afghanistan and Yes. Loki. yeah, Admin
1: assistant. <laughs> yeah. To the Pentagon.
0: Yeah. Total pivot, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And and then obviously I was like, I should totally be a career coach after this.
1: <laughs> you know? Of course, of course. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and later, later. Yeah. And but that's the thing, is that people who are more institutional are more driven by your degree and how many years you put into something, there's this judgment that I feel of like. Non-original career paths, but we're not fixed creatures. We're not fixed beings. it It feels so unnatural to me that people who have this more institutional mindset that's driven by education and getting the MBA and checking the boxes, that that would even make sense for the human experience, and know? to
1: the same extent, if you feel that Mm breadcrumb down that path, Mm -hmm. it's an okay path to do, as long as it's what you actually feel is going to fulfill you, right? Yeah. So it'd be okay to do that if that's what you actually feel, but if you're in your mind, and your head about it a lot, and you just think that that's probably gonna lead to something good, Mm -hmm. that may actually be a good idea, but but feel it out, right, is what you're trying to say here, Mm -hmm. especially.
0: Yeah, and I think also just understanding what a multifaceted being, that we can be, you know? Like all of these interests we have, they're not always random. For some people, they're put together, they're calling. And in a lot of ways in my career now, years later, I feel like a wet towel that's totally wrung out. I feel like all these facets of myself I've harnessed and carried into my career. And ultimately, if you want a fulfilling career, my belief after having coached over 400 people one-on-one and 7,000 in courses is your career has to be experimental in order for it to be fulfilling. I am hard pressed to believe that somebody just kind of comes in to the workforce without having any sense of professional experience and just nails it and and climbs and that's it, you know?
1: So let me ask you this, Mm -hmm. do people need to change careers to find that fulfillment or is there another way?
0: I think there's a way to turn your career into what you want so anyone right now who has a job that they don't like, for example, I think it's really possible for them to say to themselves, all right, I don't like my job. Um, Maybe I can make a total pivot or maybe I can talk to my boss about that project that I think is kind of out of my wheelhouse but something I would really love to work on and I'm gonna be so great at that project because it's so aligned for me and it's such a breadcrumb for me that they're gonna see my value that I bring there and they're gonna move a little bit more of my time into that and I'm gonna be able to get the next job based on this thing that I moved over from.
1: So to speed forward, Mm -hmm. because there's so much knowledge I want to extract out of you, you worked at the Pentagon, Mm -hmm. you started helping people get job offers and upgrade their positions, shift laterally, experiment with their career and follow that and teach them all these networking skills. And then you went on and suddenly you were like, this is a business, like I should be career coaching people because so many people were showing up to like a Starbucks that you got kicked out. And next thing you know, you start developing this business, right? Around online, teaching people career coaching, some Mm -hmm. one-on-one, right? Yeah. Tell me about that experience.
0: Yeah, I had so many friends. Like you said, too many people would say, hey, I'll help you with your resume. They brought their friend, their friend, their friend. Next thing I know, I'm in DuPont Circle and nobody can walk into Starbucks to get a coffee. There's too many people coming for career coaching advice. And people would say, you should be a career coach. And I'm like, I have no career to coach on. I'm 23 and I spent nine months at an admin assistant job and now I'm at the Pentagon starting my career even though I was in this executive role and I ended up realizing at that time that everybody knows something you know well, first of all everybody's had a million dollar idea at some point in their life whether they pursue it or not is, is really the game you know ideas are a dime a dozen but execution is so not but I realized wow I just understand job hunting I understand it it's so innate. it's so natural to my skill set it's just people Understanding how to talk to people, what not to say, how to not off-put someone. Um, That's always been natural to me. I think growing up, my mom and dad used to force me into dinner parties every Sunday, and I never liked going to them. I always wanted to be, I don't know, I was a little bit more of an introvert than I think I let on to be. And I would always kind of lose energy, I think, being around crowds for too long. And my parents would put me in these socializing situations, and when my dad had a lot of wealth, I was around all sorts of different people. I had to be civilized, which I was kind of an out of control kid. So it was a learned thing. It was a learned skill to not be out of control. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I literally like bit my brother's ear, like Mike Tyson level, like just out of control (laughs) kid. Mike Tyson, my brother. Yeah, like I bit my brother. I was just, I was a biter. you know. Mm -hmm. So my parents had to civilize me. And I think in that time in my life, looking back now, it's like I just learned how to talk to people from a really young age. And that carried into my career. And Felt very sensible and obvious to me, whereas I would find, and and this is for a lot of people, that what's obvious to you isn't obvious to everyone else, you know. And for me, talking to people was obvious, and other people, and and talking, your resume is a form of talking to people. It's in the written form, and so for me, it made sense. Of if you want this, then you need to get rid of all that, and you need to put this on there. So I'd always been quite good with words and people. And that's what job hunting really is. It's words and people. It's not skill. It's not, you know, I've always said, you know, the best job doesn't always go to the best candidate. It doesn't go to the most qualified person. It goes to the best job seeker. And I think of myself back when I was networking for those jobs and eventually landed at the Pentagon. It's like I was up against all of the Harvard resumes and I went to a small liberal arts college because my parents couldn't afford to send me to the top private school that I wanted to go to and I didn't even get in and work hard enough in college. I'm, I'm a smart person. And when I put my mind to something, I'll create the result. But in school, I just wanted to have a good time. I was an A minus student, mm-hmm. I wasn't the A plus Harvard student. I was always getting into like decent places. And I think that served me because when I got out on the workforce, it was like Darwinism, like survive or get a minimum wage job again and let that be your new normal. And so for me, it was like, how do I outshine these people who just, Put the work in to get that Harvard, Georgetown, Yale degree. And how do I shine? How do I outperform them? It was people. It was talking to people and being liked by people. And I found a way to do it where I was being myself. I never felt like it was a bad time. Mm.
1: Yeah. Would you say of these two things, what would you put as priority number one? Getting along with people and people want to spend time with you at work Mm -hmm. or having the skills?
0: Mm. I would say... And when you say getting along with people, do you mean as it relates to like job offers or just like your coworkers
1: love when you walk into the office mm-hmm. or you have slightly higher skills?
0: Mm, oh, I would say it's, it's all about who likes you, you know? And, and, and actually, I've, I've coached CEOs and executives that are trying to keep retaining their millennial employees, people from big four accounting firms who are losing their staff. And one of the biggest, most sneaky, toxic hires is the high performer that nobody likes. Those are toxic and they're not worth their performance no matter what they're doing because you will find another performer, but nobody wants to work with them. Hmm. And so for the gains you're getting from that one hire, you're experiencing losses in the morale and in the energy of your staff and that's going to cause a lot of turnover, only always.
1: So then you go on to create this career coaching business, right? An online course. Yeah. How does that start up? Explain like how long did that take to do and, and what happened?
0: Yeah, I ended up, of course, facing that music that I always already heard, that the Pentagon wasn't going to be it for me, but I found what I found on the periphery. I found those breadcrumbs of job hunting, and mm. and, and in my day-to-day life, I found all sorts of things. I used to meet an executive coach and be like, oh, what are you up to at, at an event where I was recruiting for my program at the Pentagon, or something like that. and. And, and I would learn about her and I remember tuning in to, oh, that feels interesting. Well, I'm going to check and my intuition saying, check that out, check that out. And I had a little ideas book that I kept with me and I recommend this for anybody where uh, it wasn't a place that I would go to for to do's. It was just a book that I would put things that I wanted to check out. Things that were interesting.
1: What are some examples? Do you still do this?
0: Yeah, I still do this. So um, one example is just executive coaches, like what are they doing? Why are they doing it? Um, what version of that would be interesting for me? Or how do I work with them? Or do I want to work with them? What is it about them that feels like a yes in my body? Mm. Just a general question. And some mornings I just freeform write, you know, I find them interesting. I lo- love what they're up to. I would just write whatever thoughts came to mind. Freeform writing I think is a really powerful tool and vehicle for you to figure out what's going on in your mind that you might not be able to connect to.
1: Mm. Okay, so you start this business.
0: Mm-hmm. So I start this business uh, after a thousand people say to be a career coach and after I got over the fact that half the websites I googled look like purple And they had like waterfalls and rainbows. And I was like this is the scariest thing I can't really this you know think about me in a suit at the Pentagon like mm. so Institutional looking at these coaches look like the Wild West, you know, and it was new coaching wasn't a big thing at that time so uh, 2011 2012 so I ended up opening up a little career coaching business coming back to Los Angeles hiring my first career coach. She was 10 grand afford her, sold my car so that I could, walked around LA. What a horrible place to sell a car.
1: <laughs> so the breadcrumbs were strong. These weren't strong. crumbs, yeah, These this were was like, like a loaf yeah, yeah,
0: this is a loaf. And I love carbs. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what a dad joke. Anyway. I love it. I love it. Um so yeah, so I, I sold my car. I hired her and you know, as it is with most coaches, I think some clients buy into the belief that if they just make the payment that the miracle is gonna happen. But I was like, this is, I'm gonna burn all bridges behind me. You know, not relationship bridges, but like option bridges and just fully be involved in this. Mm-hmm.
1: And you had spent all the money you made while at the Pentagon.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All my money was gone. So I kind of hired this coach, borrowed money from my mom, sold my car, made it work created a website. It was the weirdest website. It had like a cartoon of me, but the cartoon didn't look like me. So it was kind of this like, I it don't like know. was like an Indian boy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was almost like my inner introvert didn't want to create a personal brand of my face all the time or something. Yeah. It really could have looked like an Indian man. Like, I don't know. It didn't look like me. And I ended up, doing everything. And it was a lot of wrong things, but there are a few things that I did that were right. I created little islands on the internet of lead generators. I I wrote now, I've written about 500 blog posts for Forbes. I did a Ted talk. I got one out of nowhere. I put it out there. I put myself out there. I networked my heart out and I also used. and this is the big thing is anyone in their career right now, if you tune into the past and you pick the most interesting thing about the past, Just one capsule moment of time it doesn't have to be something you spent most of your work week or day or life doing Um, so for me it was working in counterterrorism and like preventing terrorist attacks for example Um, quite interesting I guess it wasn't interesting for me because I was in it but tuning into like where people respond to you what's interesting to them about you carrying that into your future so for me it made me stand out people would want to talk to me and um, so I was able to get the TED talk for example by saying I worked in counterterrorism. I learned all of this about life. Oh, by the way, I'm a career coach too. When I got on stage for my TED Talk, pulled a total doozy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm a career coach. You know, like it was a not only a business opportunity, an opportunity for me to be of service, but an opportunity for me to build my business. So I stayed really mindful of that. Um, I networked. I went to networking events. I failed. I fell on my face. I, I got reviews online, all of those things. And eventually I started to get traction. I started to get speaking engagements.
1: How long did this take?
0: Um, about six months, I would say, which was really fast. Um, I would say seven, eight months into my practice. I had a full practice, I had a wait list, and I started raising my rates. But what I also, I did, and I'll never forget, was I went to an event some woman was putting on. It was like one of those lead generating two hour events where she gives this powerful talk about how you can do anything you wanna do in your life. And I think it's a combination of of putting yourself in the circumstance that's gonna get you inspired. That's really important. Somebody is trying to figure out their path or their purpose. It's like, put yourself in in where you're gonna be the most you. So for me, when I'm feeling off kilter, it's like, all right, I need to get to the beach. I need to get to a hip hop dance club class. I love dancing. I'll go to a nightclub and dance. You know, I'm the only person... So if you feel
1: yourself in a funk, you have these When I'm having fun,
0: when I feel myself, and when I feel off or I can't get answers, the first go-to I have is where do I need to go to even feel breadcrumbs that are coming my way? Mm. Where do I need to go? Who do I need to hang out with? So
1: you're saying it's sort of oriented around like the more self-love you do, the more breadcrumbs you feel.
0: Yeah, I guess self-love is one way to look at it for sure. My experience of it was it's not just self-love. It was... um, where do I feel alive? And I guess that is a form of self-love, you know, um, and and I would go places that made me feel excited about life. And through that energy, I always got more ideas, Mm -hmm. you know, because when you feel so excited, you can feel the juxtaposition of what's not working for you. And there's a level of energy leak to that, like putting up with. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to cut that cordon that off. And now if I free myself from that, what do I do with this energy that I have left? Mm -hmm. So I went to this woman's event and I was so available for a transformation and I think that's the thing. And I remember feeling like she was like an IV in my veins, like it was like a blood transfusion I got from her. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling this high, she had all these courses and all these seminars, she had very much an online coaching business. She had courses, masterminds, speaking, what all of it. And my soul, it was like a total bread loaf. You know, like it was like, I need to be her for job seekers. I need to help. I need, and I believed in my methods for job seekers. And since then creating all these frameworks for how to get a job, I remember thinking like, if I could show the world online what I've been doing one-on-one with these clients, so many people would get job offers. And it wasn't just about the job offer. It was about what it feels like when you're beholden to someone else, when you feel stuck somewhere and when you can't make all these life choices because of this job you don't even want to be doing. And my job offer formulas taught me how to just go get job offers and not be beholden to anyone and change your life right away. And I felt like these kind of conversations I learned, the cold emails I learned to write, the conversations I learned to have, these were my golden ticket. And so when I went to this woman's seminar, I was like, wow, I need to get this out there. And she offered um, another event. It was like a weekend event. So it was like a lead generator. It was a two hour, very powerful talk. She had testimonials in the audience, people standing up to crying, talking about their experience mm-hmm. with her. And then a, th- a two day event in Atlanta. I got there, I was like, I had barely any money and I was so excited to be there. And I, I forget that that what that feels like truly mm-hmm. because I've been in this business for so long and I understand that business. I see it more of a business model now than like the client receiving it. But I went to this two-three day event, and I remember just calling my mom, being like, "Mom, I'm gonna crush it," you know. And she offered at the end of that two-day weekend an $8,000 group experience online program of how to launch your business, how to do programs. And I remember out buying it on a credit card and outperforming everybody. In thing where it was like I got my TED talk my practice filled all of the and she was really teaching you how to have a private practice
1: at this point you were feeling a bakery inside yeah
0: total bakery I love these references You're so good yeah and I ended up saying to myself I'm gonna create an online course I'm gonna do this whole webinar thing I was watching her do it it wasn't very trendy at the time Facebook ads weren't really up and available at the time this
1: is 2012
0: yeah 2012 and I had my full practice and I took every penny I made so I probably made like hundred K in my first year 300k in my second year at it and so i was doing well as a new 24 year old 25 year old career coach Incredible. yeah and really proud of it left my job obviously and i ended up saying to myself i'm gonna put everything i have into this i'm gonna figure this out i will not i will not stop until i succeed and i hired anybody that could help anybody that i thought could help i was like this is ever this is my dream and it was at that time where my soul just wanted to know what it was like to feel that impact, that success, um, and all that came with that. So I started learning how to write a webinar. I failed miserably. I met my first coach who knew how to help with webinars and uh, paid her 25 grand that I also didn't have. And I mean, I don't know, either I sound financially like just a wreck or else I just sound like this inspiration, I guess, to people when it comes to this. Paid her on another credit card. So at this point, I was like 80K on credit cards. and her framework was right. Her ads and showing me how to do ads and showing me how to write a webinar, showing me how to put a course together, but nothing was converting. I wasn't getting any sales. And uh, I remember she always used to say to me, it's all about the little tweaks. And I was kind of bitter. I was like, man, I paid you $25,000 and nothing's happening. And I think it's very tempting for people with coaches. They pay us and they think like, You need to create results. And do we? Of course, a lot of the time we do. But for the people that don't, it's like they're the common denominator too. They have to do the work on themselves in the inner world and in the outer world. So for me, I was doing that work. And eventually I met this guy, incredibly smart guy. He was selling digital products in the 90s. I'll just call him John.
1: Digital products in the 90s. Yeah. He's like like an OG. OG.
0: But he had all the weird stuff on the internet, I'm guessing. And I'm and in retrospect, and I learned this later, I feel like he must have done something illegal because he wasn't creating wealth on his own anymore. He was just showing other people how to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Like he was blacklisted or something. He
0: felt blacklisted or and he was living in like Alaska and like but never wanted to be there. All these red flags that All a twenty five year things old didn't like, see. Yeah, mm. I was like, Well, I kinda saw them, but I didn't care but I didn't know. I, I just was like, that's weird. And I just didn't think much of it because I was so focused on my dream. I was like, just help me get my results. I don't really care about y- you. Like I was madly focused. Like when people talk about like Steve Jobs, which I really can't compare myself to him, but I kind of felt like him where it was just like possessed. So this guy used to start coaching me and I told him about my webinar, I told him about my audience and he's perked up and he said, nobody's really helping this audience. I wanna help you. And it's $3,000 a month. and I was two weeks away from rent. I didn't have money for rent in my account because I was using all my private coaching funds. Call my mom after th- I'm like, no problem. We're going to do this. And he's like, I'm going to fly out there. We're going to do a VIP day. We're going to get this. And I felt like he could help me. And I call my mom and I'm like, mom, I need to borrow money for rent. She's like, are you sure you're not going to hire anybody else with this? And I'm like, no, I promise. This is for rent. Mm-hmm. First I've ever told my mom as an adult. As an adult. I'm <clears> sure <or throat> as a little kid, I was like a little terror. But, um, and I took that money and just wired it straight to him and he showed up and we rewrote my webinar and fast forward, uh, it took about six months of trial and error.
1: How are you paying rent?
0: Yeah. Oh, well, I had a boyfriend at the time who helped. Um, and I just, I mean, yeah, how was I paying rent? How was I even, I, I, I it was like, I barely made it, you know, like I would get one sale on something during that time that would float me. Uh, I would, um, open up another, I opened up one more credit card. You know, I ended up getting to about $110,000 of debt throughout this time. And right when I was on the brink of like complete failure, um, it was January, 2016 and I had a webinar live. It was my like 80th webinar live. I'd done so many of them. And I mean, I just had so much grit. I don't know why. I, I don't even know when I talk about it, it's like this out of body thing. I'm like, who was I, you know, and, um, We did this webinar and I remember every time after the webinar and we'd we'd play with the script and he was so masterful and so certain. It was almost like I borrowed his certainty. I borrowed his confidence for myself. And um, I remember every webinar I would change the tab after the webinar and look at my sales. And we spent about $4,000 on ads and I was breaking even at this point. I would make about $4,000 or $3,500 back um, for the week to fill the webinar with people um, on Facebook ads. And... I remember I changed the tab after the webinar was over, but this time 40 people bought the course and that it was a $1,000 product. So it meant that I put in $5,000 and I made $40,000 in an hour. And I remember I was like 26, just like, no, this this is a fluke, you know? Like, I don't believe it. And he was like, it's not a fluke, it's gonna keep going, watch the data hold, let's try it again next week. We do it again and that was the the week. The first time it was like, okay, $40,000 is great, but I'm super in debt so I know exactly where to put it.
1: And you were doing each webinar live?
0: I was doing each one live and I was tweaking something different every single week, yeah.
1: And you said you had already done like 80.
0: Yeah, I'd done 80 webinars. So it was like number 80 or 81 that like really moved the needle. The following week it happened and that was when I realized I made it. And it was this feeling in my body that I don't know if everybody gets to experience of like working super, a lot of people work hard and they don't get paid off. And that's one of the things I don't like about the influencer space is some people learn how to get people to click the blue follow button, whether they're putting good content out there or not. Um, and it's like, I didn't, I wasn't doing it for that, you know? And it was like this genuine experience of, I want to put the work in and know what it's like to create the result and create possibility for other people and for myself. And I remember that second webinar, I closed the tab and I saw all of these sales and I just couldn't believe it. And I went to this dinner after and, and I was, I used to see my college friends every Wednesday and for about a year or two at that point, they were used to me doing really well in my private practice but feeling like a failure because I never had any money to show because I was always peddling it into this. And they always heard about the webinar. It was like this like frenemy that I had for a year. Like the webinar, the webinar. So I went to this dinner with my friends.
1: That's great. Yeah.
0: And, And it was my college friends. And they were all just like hustling in the workforce. And I was kind of the oddball, like doing my own thing, really broke. And they were like, hey, how's the webinar going? And it was like, dang, I've made like 80 grand in a week. And I was afraid to tell them. It was like lonely to let them know that I'd succeeded in that way. Um, And I said, it's good actually, it's starting to work. And that was it. I didn't want to let them know how successful I was becoming. It felt too lonely. And that was the beginning of me feeling like, wow, success is kind of lonely, I think sometimes. And it also taught me that there's a lot of room on top, you know, like people who want to get into an industry and do well at something like, there's not a lot of people crushing it. There's a lot of people hustling at it, you know, but not a lot of people being exceptional. And I remember the goal was to automate my webinar and have people going to it every single day, all day, and no longer it being this performance that that I do, um, you know, once a week. And I remember webinar software was just coming out at the time for this and it was a big question mark of is this gonna work? It was very innovative. There were no automated evergreen webinars out there doing this. And long story long, we ended up doing it and I remember the first morning we spent $500 on ads on our automated webinar experience and there's a lot of scammy stuff out there. People saying, welcome to this live webinar. I never said it was live or anything like that. So I was kind of playing by the rules too, which was really exciting. And I walked to the coffee shop and when I got there, I checked my sales and I saw that in that walk from when we turned the ads on, three people bought my product, which meant that I $500 were spent in an hour and $3,000 was made. And I thought, that has to be a fluke too, no way. There's no way that I get to be this successful. Like, there, it just there's just not. And it, it just kept going. And for the days that followed, for the weeks that followed, uh, I was making about, we just kept upping the ad spend. Some people bought my product with payment plans. It was a job hunting course. Now it's called the Job Offer Academy and it's a much smaller course with no touch points. At that time it had coaches and Facebook group and all these things. I remember thinking, this isn't possible. We spent, uh, we ended up spending $2 million on ads in the next month and a half, two months. And uh, we paved the path there weren't, there wasn't many people out there doing Facebook ads at this level. And it was also really lonely in the sense where I didn't know who could help me. We grew really fast. I had to hire 10 employees in what felt like overnight. We got 6,500 customers in like a snap. And my one customer service girl in the Philippines was like totally overwhelmed, <laughs> poor, you know? Poor girl. Yeah, and so I ended up hitting my own upper limit and and rock bottom with it. Where um, I used to say things to this guy that we call John, like, hey, this is moving really fast, and you know people are complaining because they're not getting a reply on customer service fast enough because we have too many customers overnight. Mm. Um, Do you think we should like? simmer this down a bit so I can like train her and, you know, get my lawyer to look at everything or whatever. And he, he was very, um, it wasn't like a sociopath, but just didn't feel my feelings. He was very like, no, go big or go home. And, and he got 10% or 20% of my ad spend. So he had a conflict of interest and people used to say, there's a bit of a conflict for this guy to be coaching you and also to be profiting at this Mm -hmm. level from you on
1: the ad spend in particular on the ad
0: spend in particular because he's going to pump my advertising and ended up hitting this upper limit and asking to turn off the entire thing and and i felt so disempowered with him that i finally said this is my company and i'm turning this off and i ended up getting lawyers to look at everything i ended up training my customer service the lawyers made some suggestions on hey webinars are more of a new phenomenon You know, you can improve this area, improve that area. You're not doing anything illegal, but there's case law that you're gray here or gray there. For example, um, any automated webinar feels live for people. It could give the impression it's live. So you need to let them know it's not. Um, That was a gray zone. So I started writing in my email scripts, you know, um, one of my best presentations I've ever given, letting the user know that. And by the time I turned it back on, the Algorithm had changed on Facebook. We'd done about five million dollars in that two months And I went from making five or six dollars back per dollar I put into Facebook to making um three dollars back and my overhead was probably taking up two dollars and as we kept scaling the numbers kept thinning. I ended up telling uh, my coach John at the time hey this doesn't look so promising um maybe i should go back to private coaching or what do we do and we tried everything i split test that one webinar i created 45 split tests of it i i created 20 different video ads and and audiences and i i went and this is something they don't tell you when you're an entrepreneur is you start the business from this energy of creation and creativity But number one, you have to sustain that. So the people who are high on their idea, it's like they create it, but you need to also be thinking about sustaining it a few moves down the board. Number two, nobody warned me that the person I was when I started it wouldn't be the person I was when I finished it. And it was this rock bottom phase where the numbers weren't adding up. I had 10 employees and we had payment plans coming in. So even when it was failing and not, it was maybe breaking even or losing money, I had payment plans coming in kind of floating me. Um, for months and months and months and I was in denial which is one of the most expensive business decisions we can all make and I hit this upper limit where I hired all of these lawyers to look at it and um, be discerning about it Not just from a place of wanting to be right with the market I mean I come from the Pentagon which is all justice So in the digital marketing world, there's a lot of spam. There is a lot of scam and I think that's why consumers are scared to buy um, but I wanted to be an in integrity and I think that was a story I told myself because my dad lost all of his money when I was a kid. Well he didn't lose it, he closed the doors on his business, it wasn't working. And I just remember thinking I never wanna lose everything so I better get a bunch of lawyers to make sure that everything is okay and kosher and that I'm showing up in integrity. And what happened from that time was a self-fulfilling prophecy was I turned off everything, and in a way, I sabotaged it. There was there was a middle ground. I could have put it on a low simmer and kept the algorithm in my favor. Um, I could have gotten a new ads person and and stuff like that, and I didn't. And I ended up going through a phase where my mom was doing my bookkeeping, and uh, she was like, "You're making so much money. We need to look at your books." And I'm, you know, I bought a new Porsche, and I was looking at houses on the beach, and it kind of got to my head for a minute where I was like, "I can have everything I want. Like, money is water." and and I think when when you're not humbled, you know, life will humble you and I'm really glad it did. Um, but a lot happened during that time in my life and I was so overstimulated that I created my own fear. I was driven by fear of failure and fear of losing it all because I think the little kid in me was like, Remembered my dad when I was 10 giving me luggage for my birthday because he couldn't afford anything and we'd moved out of a 10,000 square foot mansion and he could barely he nearly claimed bankruptcy and it's like I wanted I wanted to I think when I was a little kid. I told myself like I'm gonna fix this You know and this business. I just saw as like a lottery for me like I'm just gonna fix everything and I'm just gonna crush it and uh, it got to my head and I'm glad in retrospect that what happened did. I held onto the business like little ankles, like a a little baby with its mom's ankles. I just didn't want to believe that it wasn't working. And then eventually my mom called me one day and she said, Ashley, I'm looking at your numbers and you have a million dollars in payment plans. Um, If you let go of your business now, you'll be able to buy a condo and restart your life. And it was that moment I said, no. I'm not going to give this up. I'm going to keep going. And she said, okay, but that's your choice. And I got the same call about six months later. Hey, Ashley, you have $200,000 in payment plans and your business that every month is having about 60000 dollars in overhead. So either you close the doors today or you burn through it in the next two months. And that was the moment that I was like, yeah, I'm about to lose my apartment. I'm about to lose everything and uh and that afternoon i had a call with my team and i just decided to let them know that i was closing the doors on this course and i notified all all my users that um, the course would be closed and that had some not ramifications but it meant a lot for buyers of my product meaning the facebook group would be active for one more year certain things that had a deadline would be enacted and i don't know i mean when i look back on that time it was just such a shitstorm you know it was like i couldn't even hear myself think um and then of course in the middle of all of this i brought john in and he said to me this before i had this call and said let's let everybody go he said ashley the algorithm has changed on facebook but if you trust me and you let me pump your american express card with $400,000 of ad spent, the algorithm is gonna lock in and it's gonna favor you. Your leads are gonna get cheaper and your course is gonna work. And I remember, I don't know, it was almost like I had so much success I didn't even like remember what it was like to fail for a minute and I was like, let's do it. Like I just conditioned myself to believe like investing works, it doesn't always. Sometimes it does, you know, and it's, but, but the choice to make it a part of your life is what makes you win, you know, cause it's a muscle you build and you're on, and yes, there's going to be casualties, but you're always going to go further by doing it. So I was like, let's do this.
1: Were there any breadcrumbs during this?
0: Yeah. Like my body was like, well, you know, I was so disconnected, honestly.
1: Cause the wounds were showing up.
0: Yeah. There's so many wounds holding on to my business. My mom telling me it was going under this guy telling me he could fix it all. I mean, let's face it. He's getting 10, 20% of my ad spend and... He had, he wasn't gonna lose anything. He had nothing to lose other than like feeling bad for me. And, I, and he said, trust me, I, I can do this. And I said, okay. So week one, so it was four weeks before this phone call. Week one, he pumps my ad spend and he spends $100,000 and we get about 20,000 back. And I said, hey, what's going on? There's a problem. He goes, it's gonna click in. You have to give it time. It's, it's gonna work. Week two, $200,000 gone, we make $30,000 that week. And I'm like, okay, week three, same thing. I keep calling him. I'm worried, I'm concerned. You know, I don't have money to pay this or we don't have cash flow to pay this right now. This isn't working out. Finally, I, said, I changed my password on my Facebook account and said, I'm letting you go. And that was when it hit $400,000 and all I got from him was a $40,000 invoice for his 10%. I said, John, um, we we are going to claim bankruptcy. And um, he said, you know, you have to stay the path. And I just looked at myself in the mirror like, I can't afford this. I don't, I don't know how to do this. And I ended up letting him go, getting his $40,000 invoice and totally being alone. And... I had a couple weeks until my American Express bill was due and I just didn't pay it. I didn't have the money to pay it and I um, didn't really know what to do in this time of my life. I was scared and the biggest thing that happened is I think we grew up with a false security net with our parents where we think they're going to bail us out but not mine. Like My parents were hardworking, good, responsible people but they didn't have $400,000 just like hanging out. So I scrambled and I created a course that actually is now one of the top courses I have called the Career Clarity Lab, all about how to figure out what job you want. And I emailed my list and I said, I know that you guys all have used me for how to get a job, but I've never made sure that it's the right job. So we ended up selling this course and that helped some of the debt, but um, ultimately I was left with about a half million dollars of business debt on my shoulders and The day that I let my team go when this was all coming up, um, one girl was asking for a raise. She made six figures a year working from home as a career coach, part-time, and uh, nobody really knew what my reality was, that I hadn't collected a paycheck in a while, that I was risking everything, and I have a lot of compassion for the entrepreneur who, who does this. I think a lot of employees don't always understand how much we bleed for our businesses, and I remember letting everybody know on that call that I would be closing the doors and that some of those payment plans would just be going to this debt that I would just incurred and I couldn't turn to my parents to help me. They didn't have the money to fix this and then I started going to lawyers. They started talking to me about claiming bankruptcy and I don't know what it was. I think I was just overwhelmed by all of the restrictions that happen when you claim bankruptcy, they were talking about like, you can't apply for a mortgage for this many years. And I thought about how I wanted to find the right person and get married at some point. And I don't want to bring that to the marriage and um, all these different things about bankruptcy. And I didn't feel like shame about bankruptcy. I felt fear and overwhelm from it. And I just said to myself, I've done this before, I'm gonna do it again. I'm I'm gonna get my way out of this. And so now it's been three and a half years. I've paid off a half million dollars of debt um, I found the right person, and in that three and a half years, it was really hard. I called off my wedding, I was with the wrong guy. I,
1: yeah, whoa. Yeah, another interview for that. Yeah,
0: called okay. off my wedding, Wrong relationship, really good guy. I was with him for five years. And my sister died. I had a big sister, and she just passed away. So I went broke. I lost my partner. And my sister died. So I just, and the weird thing about this is personal development, it kind of feels like, you know, it reminds me of Warren Buffett. He talks about with money and people. He talks about how some people are swimming without swim trunks on. And when a tide comes in, whether it's the recession or the stock market crashes, you kind of find out who's swimming naked, you know? And it was almost like I was swimming naked. Like I didn't have anyone to turn to. I was flying by the seat of my pants in my career. And I just went back to my roots. I started private coaching again. I created new courses. I humbled How long myself. How did it
1: take for you mm-hmm. to, to get moving again?
0: I remember this moment, like I was on the floor of my apartment and I had a Porsche I couldn't afford anymore. And I owned a house that I rented out. It was not, not because of this was I was renting it out. I invested in it as an investment property. And American Express called and they said, "We have the right to all of your assets. And I had bought that house with my brother. and um, my sister had passed away within a few days of that. And a lot of people in my life told me, like personal development, like I was saying this metaphor of swimming with no swim trunks, I'd worked so hard on myself that when I lost everything, I was the most even-keeled person that most people had seen in circumstances of this nature, like death and heartbreak and financial loss. And friends would say like, I don't think I could be like you in this. And I wasn't disconnected, I wasn't shutting down. I felt it all, I cried a lot, but I also was totally available to have a good time, you know? And it was really great for me because when I made all that money, I was the most, I associated it with stress. You know, it was like high achieving income and thousands of customers trying to survive. And what I learned from that is there is just no amount of money worth going to bed at night and liking yourself. Like, you've gotta like who you are. You've gotta like how you spend your time. You gotta like what you're giving the world. And if you don't, it's like there's this little seed inside of you um, and whatever it is I think it's the opposite of self-love where it's like you plant this little seed of like, it's okay not to like myself or who I'm being. And ever since then, I've never taken on a client that I don't want to take on or a client that I can't actually help. I've never sold a product that I don't believe in. Um, I've I've cut sales funnels and cut revenue because I think, oh wow, I'm gonna make, for example, my courses right now that I sell on my website. We used to make triple what I make now off of them, but I didn't like the funnel and the customer experience. I didn't like how they would opt into a free thing and we would hit them with a sale too soon. So there are certain things I changed that I made. I chose to make less money. And it wasn't necessarily that I had a bad money mindset. It was like loving who I am and how I give to the world and who I am to people became non-negotiable. And I've since used that as kind of a roadmap for my life. And I've had more keynote speeches booked than ever. I got a book deal to write about this journey. It's gonna be called U-Turn, Y-O-U, two words, U-Turn. And it's ultimately a 11 step roadmap to figure out your best career path. Um, and it's not out yet, it'll be out in like January, 2021, but. It was really cool to be able to heal um, and, and, and outline this. And the book isn't just about losing my money. It's about figuring out what career path was best for me. And I'm going to be writing a poetry collection soon, which ever since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to write poems. So this idea of U-turn is all about coming home to yourself, coming home to who you are. And Can
1: you please, I just got this visual for the cover of your poetry book. Of like breadcrumbs leading to bigger pieces of bread until there's a loaf. In yeah the distance.
0: <laughs> that's cool yeah it's gonna be a collection of 99 poems to figure out who you are and what's best for you or... I feel like the
1: breadcrumb thing would be fantastic yeah. yeah
0: yeah and it's it's interesting because I always told myself I would write this poetry collection perhaps when I'm pregnant or I have some time to be in myself in my stillness a little bit and it's been really interesting because When I was five years old and I opened up my book with this, I walked on stage at my preschool graduation and the principal said that he wanted every kid to say what they wanted to be when they grew up. And what I wanted to be when I grew up, I came up and I said, I wanna be a mom, an author, and a poet. And um, I met the right person after calling off my wedding years ago, You know, four years ago, I'm going to be a mom. And it was crazy in this book, U-turn, I start off with talking about that moment of making a U-turn where you realize you need to get radically honest with yourself and that something isn't working in your life and that it's time to really listen to that voice inside of you and make that pivot to come home to your true self. And this journey of writing this book, U-turn, um, I had a moment where I did a breathwork class and I was with some friends and they all have business models like mine. They all have assets like mine, the email list, the Instagram, the podcast. You know, I have the U-turn podcast. They have all these things. and. And they were saying, we want to create a mastermind. We want to do this. We want to do that. And for me, it was this radical realness of, I hate the fact that I could so easily make so much money following that path, but that's not my path. And I hate that I know that. And had, had this like crying fit of acceptance of like, I hate, I hate what I know because it's inconvenient. And I think we spend all day knowing what we know and wishing we didn't know it and i've just i think losing all my money and paying it all off got me to the point where i just kind of cut the shit. and i realized like who you are who you are always wins you know if you aren't meant to do something it's gonna bleed through into that thing because you don't want to be there you don't want to be doing it it's not sustainable and so i'm just starting to tune into like where do i win where am i who i am And ultimately I had this realization in that group of friends who are all pursuing things that I could so easily pursue and so easily cash in on. And I just thought I'm supposed to write my poetry book and I hate that I'm not a Sheryl Sandberg, but I'm more of a Shel Silverstein, you know? And so at the completion of this book, which comes out next year, I'll be promoting it, putting it out there. I love the book. I love what it does for people, especially if you're in the workforce. But what I really love is when I'm complete with that, what I'll be doing is having a family and writing my poetry collection, probably in the next like year, year and a half. And I made my U-turn, U-turn healed me. And I don't know, it's been interesting. I'm around so much wealth financially. I'm around a lot of people with wealth. And sometimes I feel my old paradigm, like I can't have that again. And then other times I'm like, wait a minute, I'm very successful at what I do. I earn a really good living. my, my private practice is always overbooked. My courses are always selling. I have more partnerships in place than I've ever had before. I have more keynotes. I'm getting paid more as a speaker, which is incredible. I'm so grateful. You know, I got paid to write a book. It's like, I'm doing so well on the money front. But I feel like what I learned in University of Santa Monica, for example, is there's a soul line of going up and there's a goal line of achieving and the goal line looks like more success more money more subscribers more and and i think we have a version of that in the workforce it's like climbing the ladder is the goal line but the soul line for me is about really ascending in my spirit and like what i believe in and following those breadcrumbs following those breadcrumbs is the soul line because who you become when you follow them And when you make the choice to hold your career as this vehicle for self-expression, this experiment that's supposed to meet you where you are as a person, uh, I think that's where the fulfillment is. And I'm committed to that. And so it's been really interesting to make this pivot from being an achiever. Uh, I had a podcast interview on my show just the other day and the person said, you're an achiever. And I was like, really? Because I don't like working that hard. Like, I like to work smart. I like to do things I'm creatively interested in. I've never associated myself as an overachiever. I think of a high, hardworking, all-the-time worker as an achiever. And I've realized there's a new way of being in the world. It doesn't have to be hard. And we don't have to go against the grain of who we are. And ever since I've synced up, you know, I've got agents at some of the biggest agencies in Hollywood asking to turn my book into a movie. It opens up with me at the Pentagon realizing it's the wrong career path and follows this journey and gives career advice to the reader on how to figure out their career path too. And creating some, it's kind of like eat, pray, love for your career. And I'm getting agents and producers curious to make a book about, or a movie about it. And it's like, things aren't so hard anymore. I'm not pushing and I'm not pursuing money. It's just not enough of a goal. You know, and I understand that fulfillment is such an art, you know, and I think following those breadcrumbs, there's such an art to that. Ever since I f- went on the goal line and learned that's not where the fulfillment is, it can be fun. It can be like a game, and there's no judgment there. Um, and I think if you're just about the soul line and going up, it's like you you, you float off into the sunset spiritually, you lose yourself. It's like it's I'm like Yoda a... when he
1: phased <laughs> out and just
0: <laughs> totally floats dust. Off. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm i feel like um i'm very aware of my body and of of being a human and being here and the goal line and how i need to play in this physical world but also go up in my heart and my soul and um i've never been better i've never been easier going i've never been happier and i'm so grateful that when i walk on stage and i've got you know i've got a crowd in um october of 25,000 dentists it's like I'm going up there and it's so funny. They hire me to talk about fulfillment, you know, and it's like, who am I to talk about fulfillment? I don't have imposter syndrome. I just think everybody has something to say. Everybody's been hit upside the head in some way. And if you haven't yet, life will hit you with your two by four if you don't listen to it. If you don't listen to your expansion or your contraction, you'll contract, contract, contract. You won't notice it. Life will show you. So uh, I think it's all in service. And um, yeah, I... I think interviews like this one, I'm, I'm still piecing it together. It was a really quick gain and loss. Um, but I think I'm so much more than my results. I'm so much more than what my bank account is showing. I'm so much more than that. And I've attracted so many people into my life that can feel on a cellular level that that's how I see the world. And I don't have an agenda. Um, and as a result, I keep creating more results and success because people can feel my heart uh, when I'm with them so
1: this is a a, something I would love to reinforce that I think I've learned just Mm -hmm. from listening to the story today which is this idea that that you cannot skip steps and so in hindsight this is such a beautiful story in the moment it was a constant unknown of the future and something that I'm getting through this the theme here is that consistency mm-hmm. was really the key the continuous march that you've done which has led to all of these beautiful realities that you now exist in and like you said all these hard things happened and you just said like okay put on my boots and just keep walking yeah and keep going down this path and mm-hmm. uh battle the demons rather than bail out and, and claim bankruptcy for the, the future yeah. things that that would cause and whatnot so it's such like a incredible story and i i have a million more questions now Mm -hmm. than i did at the beginning Mm -hmm. but i would like to ask you two final questions the first one is i've loved this breadcrumb analogy for the entire time we've been talking Mm -hmm. and i wonder like right now if you could get just a little bit of spotlight although there's been a spotlight on us the whole time like what are the largest breadcrumbs leading to for you that you think like the life of experience that you've had, which Mm -hmm. is a bewildering life experience, like absolutely incredible that you're just sitting here casually talking about these incredible things you've been through. What's the biggest bread loaf that you could share? Mm. Like maybe the one or two big lessons Mm -hmm. from all of this.
0: Mm. I think... Lesson you kind of said one thing that I'll stick with is there are no shortcuts like I was definitely getting rich quick and the reason it fell apart was because I didn't really fully have that foundation in place like I stopped it because I Didn't have the lawyers look at my stuff before I scaled I didn't have the customer service people trained and that ended up being my downfall. So there are no shortcuts to real lasting success you can have a surge of success, a glimmer of success um, on the financial side of things. But if you wanna create something that's rock solid, you need to show up and be rock solid. And my agenda was coming from this wounding of like, I just wanna crush it and it's a time in the market that I can. And I'm sure customers picked up on that. And I'm grateful that my course actually helped them and that was a good course, you know, at, at the very least. Um, so the first thing would I would say is, there's no shortcuts, um, don't, be, don't allow your impatience to cost you your future, because then you're just spend a bunch of time fixing things anyway, um, do it right. And the second thing is hold your career lightly. Hold it lightly because who you are today won't be who you are next year. I think with every new belief you buy into about who you are or what's possible for you, some old version of you is usually dying. Like an old way of being, an old way of seeing things is no longer here. And this new way of seeing things influences how you show up and who you be in the world. Um, And so to know that you're not fixed and you need to hold your career lightly so that it can really meet you where you are and who you are.
1: Beautiful. And then my final question Mm -hmm. is, after going through this phase of not having any money, mm-hmm. getting this private practice that's successful, spending all the money so that you can make more money, making a lot of money, losing a tremendous amount of money. Mm-hmm. What would you say is like your overarching philosophy regarding money now? Because at one point you said it was like water. You yeah. would just spend it and it would come. Yeah. Where are you sitting now?
0: With money. Um, I would say... I'm still a high achiever. I feel like anything's possible. I do think some people have easy leverage businesses. Other people have hard work based businesses where they have to do the work to earn the dollar, even if they're doing really well. My belief is my my happiness and my peace comes first. And so if anything feels like it's going to compete with that, it's not a yes for me. Um, and I'm also holding the possibility and I think that this is a big thing is we can hold the possibility and not force the answer So I'm holding the awareness that there's going to probably be another level for me in the years to come And it's gonna be easy and peaceful because that's what I'm committed to I'll never trade my piece for a dollar amount ever again, you know, if you what's that Instagram meme? I always see like if it costs you your piece, it's too expensive mm. you know and so I would say i'm doing really well i'm really proud of what i've created Um, i love coaching people i love courses Um, and i'm going to continue following my creative breadcrumbs and knowing that there will be something for me in my next level without forcing it and just continuing to hold that lightly too
1: that is so beautiful i am i am just endlessly inspired right now by the story and how well you word all this wisdom. So, thank you, thank you so much Thanks for, for doing you. this, um, for coming here and sharing all of your stories and everything. And I'm, I'm sure people are gonna benefit dramatically from this. And mm-hmm. I hope that all these future endeavors, potential movies, whatever. I hope that you not only get this piece, but that um, you can continue to expand Mm -hmm. and share more and more of this wisdom with the world because Mm -hmm. if this is you at 33, Mm -hmm. I am so excited to meet you at 73.
0: Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to meet me too. I wonder what she'll be up to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's gonna be crazy. (laughs) Thank Thank you.